It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 17. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. We're going to talk Golden Gopher football again this week. It's the Go Gopher Podcast preview of the Gopher football spring game. We'll hear from the beat writer of Gopher football from the St. Paul Pioneer Press, one of our favorites, Andy Greeter. He'll break down spring ball and preview the spring game. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone. And True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. Get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of of your life's work, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. Our thanks to Brian Slipka, who oversees both of those great organizations. It was my pleasure to help with their all-company breakfast last week. It was fun to see everybody. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. Tony, as we mentioned last week, loves Golden Gopher football. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast. You can go back and listen to the Go Gopher podcast from weeks gone by. For example, last week, we had Golden Gopher Offensive Coordinator Kirk Shiraka on the podcast. I'd invite you to go back and have a listen for some fascinating behind-the-scenes football talk. More football talk this week. Andy Greeter from the St. Paul Pioneer Press is next on the Go Gopher podcast. First, a word from Tony. Hey, Gopher fans. This is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm Show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonic Hospital. For everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm Show. We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900 or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat, Sky Yuma, go Gophers. It's episode number 17, the Go Gopher podcast with Mike Grimm. Thrilled to be joined now by the St. Paul Pioneer Press beat writer for Gopher Athletics, Pacific Football and Men's Basketball. And most of this podcast, I believe, will spend talking football. I may save at the end a little basketball a nugget or two, as uh, there's some news certainly in recent weeks with the men's basketball program as well. Andy Greeter, uh, good to see you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your perspective on on this uh, spring football season. And it's always, you know, hard to get a real great read sometimes. And, um, yeah. you know, you get to watch a little here and hear a little there. And um, we'll find out more here as you and I talk. It's Wednesday night of spring game uh, week, so to speak. And um, this podcast will likely most people will listen on a Thursday, Friday, or maybe even Saturday. And if they catch it after the spring game, a lot of what we say, the spring game may not have a lot of impact on some of the projections projections we may make uh-huh. as we look ahead to the fall 2022 season. So there may be some shelf life to some of this as well as we uh, head into the summer workouts. But first of all, what are your general impressions? I know you've gotten to be in on a few practices. You know who, um, you know, who's gone from the team. You know who yeah. some of the newcomers and transfers are. Uh, what's your general impression of this Golden Gopher football team? Yeah, I think the, the biggest question mark is is what they do on the offensive and defensive line. Obviously, they lost, I think, six of their top eight defensive linemen when it came to snap counts and for their top uh, for their five starters on the offensive line. And 
those are the two big issues that they've got on, on both sides of the ball. And, and John Michael Schmitz is obviously a, a huge key that he came back. They're all Big Ten center. Um, he wasn't at practice yesterday, and, and his absence was was glaring. I think they get pretty young, pretty inexperienced pretty quickly. J.J. Gaudet, who's one of their tackles, he's missed all of spring, and uh, that's going kind to of expose some lack of depth at tackle as well. So I think offensive line, I think, is maybe a bigger concern than than defensive line. I think you can see some of the pieces that they've got defensively in the transfers that they've added and some of the guys stepping up into, into bigger roles on the defensive line, but offensive line, uh, it looks a little bit glaring right now. You know, Quinn Carroll is, is still at Notre Dame. So when he gets in, uh, in June, his arrival is going to be uh, a big boost for this offensive line. It sounds like, uh, they're going to kind of wait and see where he's going to play. It looks like tackle is maybe more of a need, but you can also play guard, but offense and defensive line is, is really going to be the, the biggest key for this team to, replace if they're going to have the same kind of success and challenge for a Big Ten West like they want to. And it's interesting because we've, you know, whoever has been the coach at Minnesota or wherever, spring is the time where um, you hear them oftentimes say, well, we like who we have right now, even though they're unproven. And I, I definitely, and, and sometimes coaches will say that and and maybe not believe it. I do think in this case, they feel good about those offensive linemen you talked about that are kind of have been waiting in the wings. Because let's face it, without the COVID year, most of those guys would have been playing last year. Now, to what results, who knows? Um, yeah. But I think generally they are excited about those guys, but it's it's different to watch them in practice and go through drills as opposed to lining up against, you know, that 3-4 front of Wisconsin at some point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the biggest praise is for Ariante Ursary. I think they really love uh, what he's going to be able to provide. I think he had one start in that Nebraska game when they were decimated by COVID in 2020. And and uh, he looks the part. He looks like he can be a, a starting left tackle. And and PJ is multiple times, I think he's done it with you and and with us yesterday on, on Tuesday going into the spring game. I just had huge praise for him, said he might be the best offensive lineman that he's ever had. Um, and that's pretty impressive when you look at, at what's going to come in the NFL draft and maybe one or two guys that, that get picked there. Uh, so they like him, Chuck Filiaga. I think the the Michigan uh, transfer obviously has a lot of experience. Uh, you know, they've talked about him as as a leader. John Michael Schmitz has done that. PJ has done that as well. Uh, they've got some pieces to be able to move around. It sounds like Nathan Bow uh, has played all five offensive line spots, and he's going to really be a glue guy. I think they'll they'll count on. So I think yeah, they've got some guys that have have played some football. Axel Rushmeyer as well, also in that mix. So yeah, there's guys that have played football, but. You know, I think we kind of were spoiled a little bit last year, just given how you know how how much continuity they had on the offensive line for so long, and and really kind of benefited from you know an opportunity to to play fives and six and seven offensive <laughs> linemen like they did under Mike Sanford. I think that uh, we were maybe a little spoiled with how much continuity and quality they had. Yeah, and we'll see where where that takes him. You mentioned Rushmeyer and Bo. They both, um, I think, have a start or two. I think Rushmeyer started most of that 2020 season and then uh, kind of filled. I mean, that guy was playing fullback last year in certain eye <laughs> goal line, eye formation goal line situations where they lined the quarterback Tanner Morgan up under center. So um, I agree. I think that's going to be one of the interesting spots. And in the Big Ten, the offensive line is is so important. And when Carroll gets here, we'll see 
Like, is it tackle? Uh, what's Gaday's situation? It's really a shame with Gaday too, because we've been hearing about him. He, you know, right. they beat out some good programs to get him here, and I think his dad had a connection with was it Callahan maybe over the years, and um, and, and here was his chance maybe to really stake a claim to that right tackle spot, and unfortunately, health has not allowed him to really uh, go out and claim it yet at this point. Yeah, I think that yeah, he's a he's a guy that's been in the wings for a while now, and have heard good things about. Um, you know, if, if there's a time to be heard, it's it's in spring ball yeah. and not in the fall. So you hope that it's it's something, uh, you know, small and, and minor and, and he'll be ready to go once they start fall camp or even summer workouts in June. You mentioned you mentioned that, you know, obviously line play is important. Um, and on the other side, maybe through transfer and, as well and some other things, they you know obviously have Thomas Rushback, who who put up yeah. uh, good numbers. You, you know, when you look at the numbers, uh, you know, his name is amongst the top returning sackmen in the Big Ten. Right. And he kind of yeah. rotated in there with Boye Mafe, who obviously they're going to miss. Um, and and then Asazi Atomiwo and some others kind of played the other side of that. So you got Rush and then some guys that have played. Trill Carter, um, yeah. you know, has has started games, and um, you know, there's some other guys there. You know, they're going to miss Mike Adu. He was kind of that guy that just took up space. Um, and they've got a Clemson yeah. transfer and some others, and they're excited. About, I know they're really excited about some of their young defensive ends and you know some edge opportunities there. What do you what do you see on that side of the ball up front? That front four. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, the Clemson transfer, Darnell, uh, Jeffers, um, you know, he's, he's a guy that's played a lot of football, um, as well as, as Lorenzo Sergers, he's made some real impact plays on the edge, uh, for this Gophers defense. I think both of those guys, uh, are going to be key for them as they, as they come in and, and try to plug and play with some of those guys, you know, obviously the Houston, uh, Baptist, uh, FBS kid that's coming in. Uh, as well, you know, they lost, uh, was it Chris Smith from Harvard? He went to right. Notre Dame. They were going to have him as, as a kind of a third offense, defensive lineman to come in. And, and is it Kyrie? I forget his last name. Um, uh, but yeah, he's a Houston Baptist guy who I think he had 50 yeah. some tackles. Uh, obviously it's the FCS level, but to have a, uh, a zero, a nose, have 50 some tackles at any level, I think is impressive. And, and, uh, He's going to be another transfer that's coming in. Uh, kind of on the edge, you know, uh, Jaw Joyner, Jalen Logan Redding um, are two guys that I think are going to have an opportunity to, to really step up and, and play those, those edge spots. So those are kind of keys for them. You know, I, I see, uh, um, is it Logan Richter? Yeah. Uh, he's been playing inside as well. He's, he's a load. You talk about big man. I could do Treadway as a guy that just eats up space. Uh, you know, Logan Richter is, is even bigger than Mike Adu was. So I think they'll, they'll look for him to kind of step into that role. I think it's even his third or fourth year now, and it's really an opportunity for him to pop. Yeah, we've been waiting for him to get a chance, and he'll get that chance. And I'd throw one other name on the edge, too. I think Austin uh, Booker, yeah, they're excited right. about a um, kid from Indiana who mm-hmm. – um, as a true freshman last year, turned some heads, didn't play in games, or if he did, it was, it was, it wasn't much. Um, but I think yeah. that'd be another guy that um, maybe he's going to, you know, get some pressure on the quarterback and try to, you know, disrupt some things back there. And they have a new, uh, you know, defensive line coach as well. Uh, Brick uh, is in and he's been everywhere. It looks like, I mean, you look at his resume and uh, right. he's been NFL. He's been a big time college football. He's been at the smaller levels of college football. I mean, uh, that guy brings some experience here. Yeah, he's uh, he's quite the character. I was watching the defensive line at, at one time, and and he was really laying into the guys. He was getting after them, uh, no doubt, uh, encouraging, but also 
something that you probably couldn't have on the airwaves without an explicit label on it just because he was is really getting after him but i think it was you know it was upbeat it was encouraging for the most part and and yeah he's he's got a good story you know he's got a foundation that he gives back to the community with so it just seems like a good fit to be here in minnesota with pj fleck and, and the row the boat foundation and those kinds of things going back to, to austin booker he was a guy that with the with the Haufers, with the you know the freshmen that pj talked about a lot is making a lot of splash plays and we saw that during the open practice uh, on the Saturday a couple of weeks ago, he came unblocked off the edge on a on a goal line play and had a tackle for loss. and And he's kind of rangy and and twitchy. And I think, yeah, he's he's a guy that I overlooked, but I think he's he's a guy that you know in his first full year uh, of college football is going to be uh, an impact player. It looks like. Yeah, and 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 obviously, if they end up where they <laughs> want to end up, you know, they want to be competing in November to to try to get to Indianapolis. You know, they were, you know, they've been now a couple of times in the last few years, just to, you know, just a really a win away from it, depending on where that win might yeah. fall. And so those guys are going to have to uh, make plays, right? Uh, guys that maybe we haven't seen, and that's what programs that that show up and go to those. Uh, you know, go to that game, uh, particularly mm-hmm. from the West. If you if you see, basically, it's been Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa the last what decade almost. I guess it yeah. wouldn't be a full decade, but you get what I'm saying. And that's what happens there. You know, Iowa last year. I remember we were in in Indianapolis, and everyone was talking about what about the defensive line? They lost a bunch of guys, and that might have been the strength of their defense. Obviously, they got a good linebacking core as well. But um, now Minnesota has to fall in line with that as a developmental program. That guys maybe we haven't heard of, or maybe only. Die- Hard fans have heard of by week three, um, they're going to have to be popping and ready to go for Big Ten play. And that's how you end up at places like the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, I think what's encouraging is is they've hit in the transfer portal on a lot of guys as well. Right. Yeah. Obviously, you need to to you know have be a developmental program and have those freshmen become sophomores and juniors and seniors and, and come up that way. But, you know, they've also have hit multiple times through the transfer portal. If you look at Jack Gibbons or if you look at you know, Niles Pinckney or, or Micah Du Treadway, who we mentioned. Um, I'm sure we'll get into other guys on the defensive side of the ball, especially cornerback, uh, who they're high on uh, some of the guys they brought in there. But, you know, they've got a good track record for the most part of, of hitting on guys that, that either have come over from a blue blood program or guys that they feel like can step up to play at this level from Evelyn Christian in particular, or Western Kentucky. And, and they've really had a lot of success there. So I think that and it gives confidence that they're going to be able to plug and play at those positions where they've where they've gone to the portal and, and tried to address needs. Yeah, if 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 and they have been, you know, smart about targeting the right people and the right fits at the spot that is yeah. of need and and they they've hit on as you mentioned a few of them. Uh to me one of the big storylines going into the spring cuz honestly you know, nobody really knew for sure was at running back. What was Trey Potts' mm-hmm. situation? And yeah. to a lesser degree, Mohamed Ibrahim's situation. And, you know, obviously with his injury, there was, you know, we, we figured he'd be back at some point. Trey Potts, really, that was, you know, and still has been one of the better kept secrets, you know, in terms of really what that whole situation was so scary at Purdue. Remember, right. you know, as that postgame show started and we're looking over and we're like, what the heck is going on? And, I mean, yeah. you, you know, I mean, your heart sinks a little bit when you see how that all unfolds. The good news is they both have been practicing, you know, in terms of how mm-hmm. much clearance they're going to get. They're not going to play Saturday. We know that in the spring game. But um, I thought that answered two important questions is that it looks like in the fall, those are two guys that are going to get to play football for this team. Yeah, it's all signs are pointing to that's going to be the case. You know, I was watching the the running backs at practice uh, on Tuesday and it was interesting just to see. I mean, they were doing some stuff on air, but they were just running this kind of simple angle route. 
and uh, you watched Mo do it, and you watched Trey do it, and then you watched some of the other guys do it, and there was a noticeable drop off. There was a a crispness, a burst, a snap to the way that that Mo and Trey did it that showed me okay, there doesn't look to be any sort of lingering issues with these guys. And now it was on air, and you know it was kind of by just the look of it. But then you saw you know Zach Evans or or Bryce Williams do it, or some of the you know, walk-ons that they have playing at that position now because of how much turnover injuries and transfers and things. But it was just a noticeable difference of, okay, those are the dudes in that spot, <laughs> guys that we know that can play there. And it looked they looked the part uh, just in a simple drill of, of looking to be 100% back, and and we'll see if, they, if they're able to kind of follow through with that. But, yeah, all signs point to them being the guys, and I think that's maybe why you saw – Bucky Irving hit the portal because he knew that, hey, those guys are back and and PGA likes to, to ride the, the running backs that he has. Um, so I think that uh, it bodes well that you see those guys uh, do the things that they're doing in in spring practice, even if it isn't. Uh, with clearance for contact. Yeah, and and you know both those guys when they had their chances. Obviously, Muhammad has, has uh, yeah. really you know proven himself over the years as a as a workhorse. And Trey Potts, until that scary injury, uh, was was you know doing Yeoman's work right. as well. Uh, now the question becomes, as you mentioned, with Bucky Irving in the portal, and that again is one of the secrets. I haven't heard really what's going on there, and there's been no announcement. We shall see where that all heads. But if what happened last year happens again, and let's hope mm-hmm. that doesn't, because you know, you, yeah. you get through some running backs and there's injuries and all of a sudden you're fourth and fifth string guys. And in, in one case, you know, you get to the sixth string guy. If that happens, this team is going to have a bunch of inexperienced guys trying it. So you hope that, uh, you know, Potts and uh, and, and Ibrahim are, are, are fully healthy. Bryce Williams obviously had an injury as well, but he's right. he's been practicing. Um, but after that, there's not there's no experience, basically, in terms of gameplay uh, left. Yeah. So, you know, knock on wood, you know, throw whatever salt over your shoulder, whatever luck if you're a gopher. <laughs> And you're going to keep your fingers crossed that the that top three and 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 I know they like the youngster from from Texas. Uh, you know he's yeah. he's showing flashes. Uh, I got a kick. He was wearing number 26 uh, in spring ball. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's where he'll stay, but I'm like, yeah, he he's wearing Saquon Barkley's number. Let's have some Saquon Barkley <laughs> performance because that guy was an amazing college running back. But um, yeah. uh, let's hope that they stay healthy because the depth is um, it, with the transfers. Uh, you know that that that's an issue. Yeah, that would be some really asininely horrible luck <laughs> to get hit to that level again, right? I think, yeah. you know, just talking with Kenny Burns about it for the guaranteed rate bowl, and, you know, he's been around the game for a long time, played at Indiana, and has coached a lot of places, and been immersed in college football for a long time. And he, you know, he said he said he'd never seen anything remotely close to that. One position group that hit time and time again by injuries. So yeah, if it happens again, then you know there's there's something desperately wrong with the luck that they've yeah. had. But um, yeah, I think you know you just look at at what Mo was able to do in 2020 and how healthy he was. You know, it's it's not something that's been uh, you know a, a career long type thing. Trey had kind of a fluky thing. Bryce had an ankle. Um, so it's one of those things where you think, okay, you know. Maybe these one-offs and those guys can can stay healthy and productive. Yeah, indeed, no doubt. Um, you had a you had an article on uh, the quarterback room with the uh, I guess new offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka, who's the old offensive yeah. coordinator. He was on this show last week. Uh, he was a guest uh, of me here on the podcast. I, I and I, I maybe am 
one, uh, you know, I like to hear myself talk, so I love the podcast. But uh, <laughs> but I was I, I um, that's you know it was really fun to talk to him um, yeah. and get into mu- not so much like hey what do you see from the quarterback which we talked about some of that stuff but sure. just like preparation how much film do you watch how do you go about putting together some stuff so if people haven't heard it they should go back but you also wrote a little bit on it as well um and how this quarterback room has emerged and for him um he's had a hand in all these quarterbacks it's not like uh, maybe when mike sanford came in where he knew none of those guys Mm um you know he he has had a hand in either recruiting or literally coaching two of the top three guys yeah for sure um it was interesting just talking with tanner about his relationship with, with Shiraka and how it's changed over the years. Cause obviously you know, they recruited him to Western Michigan and brought him here. And he sat on the bench behind, you know, Demery Croft and kind of Rota in 17 and then got his chance with Zach in 18 and obviously 19, everybody remembers what they did together. But uh, Tanner talked about how he was quote terrified of Kirk Shiraka <laughs> uh, when he first came in in 2017 as, as the wide eyed, a uh, true freshman. And uh, now he's willing to to say, yeah, Kirk, I don't like that play. And Shiraka was like, wait a second. You didn't used to do that. <laughs> he's like, he, he joked. He's like, no talking back, you know, kind of. But that's what I think is what's healthy about this relationship now is, is they're able to kind of share um, or Tanner is able to share what he likes and doesn't like about certain plays. And Tanner then is also able to to ask Kirk about why he is insisting on this play, what he feels is is beneficial about running it, what kind of mismatch do they see on the field, and I think you're really able to see. Obviously, you want to see that in a in a sixth year quarterback reunited with his offensive coordinator that he knows so well that they're able to take it to that next level. And I think that's really what stood out to me is just a, a comfort level uh, between those two guys. I've seen. Kirk ride Tanner during practices. So there definitely is a, a coach player relationship, but I think there is a little bit more freedom and ease to kind of take it to that next level and, and share things a little bit more intimately than, than they probably had in, in 18 and, and 19 as well. Yeah. I've noticed that too. I think so. And I think, um, you know, in talking to Kirk last week, Kirk Shiraka about some of it, part of one of the, to me, one of the fascinating things is I'm fascinated by play calls, you know, and, and everything mm-hmm. else and game flow and all that. And, um, you know, even even when things are going well, um, you know, sometimes one play call can short circuit, you know, a game for 10 minutes if it's the wrong play call. So I always am fascinated by it. And last week he talked about um, going all the way back to when he coached Joe Flacco at Delaware and. Uh, you know, Zach Terrell, who was so good at Western Michigan, um, you know, led them to that 13 win season that part of his deal is to find that perfect spot. And how much do I put on the quarterback's plate, not just for the season, but like this week we're playing these guys, they do this. How mm-hmm. much can he handle? And he's like he always wants to make it his mistake not the quarterback's mistakes. So like if the quarterback doesn't maybe have as good of a game, then that's on, he's like, I feel that's on me because I either gave him too much or sometimes too little. And you know, that, that, that's an interesting, I thought an interesting way to, to look at how you, you handle the quarterback week to week. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what we, how much of the offense do we see that that looks like 2019 and how much of it is kind of a, an evolution of it. I mean, I think the more we hear about, what Kirk has said about his time away for those last two years and how much the game is, has changed or, or evolved. And it, it seems like there's going to be uh, some new wrinkles. I think there's going to be some, some bread and butter that they're going to go back to, you know, talking with uh, Chris Ottman Bell, you know, he said, Hey, we're taking shots again and we're, we're stretching the field 
And I think that I think every Gopher fan is going to be encouraged by that because, you know, we saw an offense that that was really stuck in some some tendencies and 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 some run heavy type looks. And I think everybody knows how frustrating that was uh, last year that led to Mike Sanford uh, Jr. being let go. So I think, uh, you know, Kirk Taraka mentioned to the media when he spoke to them that he says, you know, everybody in the state of Minnesota knows we have to throw the ball better. Yeah. And he knows that. And, and I think that's really the focus of, of how they're approaching what they want to see this fall. And I think if you even look back last year, speaking of what Altman Bell mentioned, um, you know, to me, maybe the two most impressive wins were the home win against Wisconsin and then the road win at Purdue. Like that, that one is no one pays attention to how good that win is. I mean, you win, you know, at Purdue, Purdue beat Michigan State and Iowa, right? Two of the top probably four teams in the league um, ended up with nine wins and you went in and beat them there. And yeah. guess what? That was a game that um, they didn't outgain Purdue, but they hit two big plays, right? Yes, and they—they right. they, yeah. it was one of the few games they did decide to stretch the field. Altman Bell was a piece of that. I know Mike Brown-Stevens, yeah. if memory serves, had a long pass reception in that game as yeah. well. So there's no doubt sometimes you just have to take the top off. Even if it's an incomplete, it can serve a purpose, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I think those were both play-action passes too, right? And so you kind of break some tendencies by doing it kind of early on in in the drive or early on in the, in the script of, you know, first, second, third down. Um, yeah. Going back to that Purdue game, you know, obviously it looks better in, in hindsight just because it happened the first game of October. But what I was reminded of uh, today when I was doing a story on Boye Mafe is, you know, that came after the Bowling Green loss. Right. Yeah. And that was devastating for what this team thought of itself and what they were on that Saturday to then go on the road at Purdue and win the way that they did, it just win period and bounce back was was really key for this season to to show that okay they were a good team and and they could prove it after a really really difficult loss. Yeah, and I think they did not have Mariano Sori Marin for a good chunk of that game yeah, as well. Yeah, right. He had an ankle um, injury. Had, had an yeah. ankle, so they you know they they uh, stepped up, made the plays when they had to, and uh, you know Newbin had the interception late to seal it when yeah. most Gopher fans were getting a little nervous there as uh, Purdue was marching down the field. So you know you make some plays, you stretch the field, and you get a big road win uh, there. And that, you're right, it righted the season because that could have mm-hmm. you know coming off that Bowling Green game could have you know turned it sideways if you don't hold on and win that game. Uh, so we've talked about the quarterbacks. We've talked briefly about what Chris Altman-Bell said. We've talked about the O-line. We've talked about the running back. So let's talk a little bit about, as you mentioned, there's some uh, uh, defensive transfers on the on the outside uh, of that mm-hmm. secondary. And in the middle of that secondary, uh, that's where uh, the strength and numbers of starts, numbers of minutes played. Um, yeah. And so it's a, it's a unique mix, isn't it, in that secondary? Yeah, for sure. I think when you look at Tyler Newbin and, and Jordan Howden, they've played a lot of football and they've played a lot of football together. And, you know, talking with both of those guys this spring, uh, you know, they mentioned just the chemistry that they feel with each other, that they don't even have to make calls to each other to know what's what needs to happen to be on the same page. I think we've got two real uh, high quality safeties uh, at that spot to really anchor uh, what that secondary can be. Um, you know, Justin Wally had a, a plum as a true freshman. I think we saw that, especially as the season uh, continued on, and, and now he's back for a for a sophomore season. Um, at the other cornerback spot, you know, they've got a couple of transfers coming in, and, and Beanie Bishop and Ryan Snap. And while they aren't the biggest guys, I think they've shown an ability to to make plays on the ball and 
have some veteran savvy and can also contribute on special teams. It looks like. So I think both of those guys, they're really high on and you saw some of the, the fruits in, in spring practice of, of what they can contribute. I think uh, PJ's mentioned this and, and it stood out in, in spring ball as well as kind of how uh, Michael Flip Dixon has had a great spring. I mean, he looks the part. He almost looks like a linebacker at, you know, 6'2", 210 yeah. pounds, maybe a light linebacker and outside of the box uh, linebacker. But playing nickel or playing safety, he's been all over the place. You know, they had a, a video that uh, the program put out to kind of promote the spring game. And he had a, a thumping tackle and an interception in that, you know, I think 90-second video montage of, of highlights from the spring. And when I watched practice a few times when given the opportunity this spring, he was doing that same kind of thing. Interceptions, tackles behind the line of scrimmage, disruptive plays, uh, just a playmaker. And I think we saw that in the guaranteed rate bowl too. I think he made some plays yeah. in that one as well. Um, so I think they're really high on him and I think they need to fill in uh, at nickel as well. Justice Harris played a lot of snaps at that spot. And, and if they're able to bring in that third safety and, and disguise what they do, what Joe Rossi is going to do. I think that's going to, only going to benefit what this defense can be this fall. Yeah, and you even go uh, prior to Justice Harris. You know, Chris Williamson played that. Yeah, right. and whatever you want to call it. You know, it, it's kind of that hybrid, like you said, almost a linebacker at times and run support. And then you have to have the wheels to uh, drop in pass coverage. I wonder, do you think that? could be where they play Dixon the most or, you know, they could mix it up because, you know, cause he's yeah. got, like you said, he can kind of come in and run support cause he's a bigger safety, mm-hmm. so to speak. So I wonder if that might not be where some of his playing time will get ticketed. Yeah. You know, I think they want to, you know, have their best 11 on the field and and he's right there uh, with Howden and Newbin at, at the safety spot. So I think that that's probably where I, I probably put him at nickel one at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is just coming out of spring and, and what PJ said and what, what's kind of been in the proof in the pudding through spring ball is I think that that's probably the, the best spot for him uh, going forward. How about tea time? Terrell Smith, who when he's been yeah. healthy enough, he's played. He started as a freshman and then, uh, yeah. you know, um, it didn't play as much as a sophomore, started mo- much of last year. And then the injury, I don't know if it was hamstring maybe or something, it didn't play much late. If he's healthy, mm-hmm. he can be a factor on the outside too, right? Yeah, for sure. He missed the start of spring ball, but he was practicing uh, yesterday. It seems like it's it's a it's a minor thing. It uh, doesn't sound like he's going to play in the spring game, but uh, yeah, a guy that's played a lot of football, guy who you know played as a true freshman, um, but then kind of had some had some struggles, had some confidence issues, uh, but has stuck around and and like you said, has has played a lot of football and, and can be a guy that you're going to want depth at that spot, and and he's a guy that has been there and done that. Most of what we have just talked about here in the first almost half hour of our podcast is stuff that projects, like if you listen in three weeks, it's going to still be the same discussion. So I want to ask a couple of specifics. So if someone listens three weeks from now, they'll get to listen and find out, you know, just how smart you are about a spring game, which (laughs) might be played as we talk, might be played indoors or outdoors. Um, What is, and and it's been interesting over PJ's time early, um, you know, it was basically the first one I want to say was a scripted practice almost there wasn't a yeah. game aspect to it because he didn't have a lot of numbers up front and then they've right. done you know uh, split up have a captain's uh, draft they've done some stuff last year and normally you know the starters especially the skills guys play a series or two and then the young guys and then last year uh, the starters played the whole spring game 
Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was right down to the final play, if memory serves me correct. Like, literally, the final play decided the game. Uh, what? Right. First of all, you you have a football background. What If you were running a program, how would you handle a spring game, uh, that fine line between, you know, getting some experience for guys uh, and some that, you know, in Chris Altman-Bell's case, he's been here six years. How much does he need to play? He told me this week he wants to play every down. I doubt that, but he did play every down last week. Uh, and then uh, youngsters, and how, how would you know? How, how do you think the spring game will unfold this week? Will we see yeah. veterans not play? Do you think we'll see some play a series of young guys getting a shot? Yeah, you know what? I, I would give you know some of the um, experienced guys you know a taste, right? A series or two, and and then get them out. Obviously, I. Just given what happened with Chris Ahmed Bell uh, last August and how he had the horse collar tackle and had the start of his season really sidetracked, right? Uh, I'd be very reluctant to to play him really at all, just given that history. And maybe he's victim to you know what's already happened before. But um, like you said, he's a six year player. He doesn't have anything to prove. Uh, maybe he wants to you know get out there and, and kind of have a game like environment after going through fifteen practices. I totally get that. And, that's why I think, you know, maybe a series or two for some of the established guys and then get them out and hopefully everyone uh, stays healthy. And then you turn over the keys to the, to the young guys and kind of go from there. Yeah. I think, you know, last year was, was probably the perfect opportunity for this program, right? With the COVID year, they had so many numbers. Uh, it was coming out of COVID that everybody was itching to, to go see sports and they had a great crowd at, at, you know, Huntington bank stadium and, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that this game might be moved inside just given what's happened with this program with bad weather hitting them or COVID or uh, all the different things that, that have been unfortunate when it comes to the spring game. But yeah, I think what's been interesting is PJ has been willing to, to mix it up and do some different things that kind of make it unique and different and, and a competition, even if you can't have a full-fledged game. And I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of wrinkles they have. Uh, come Saturday, you know, there are some, some alums that are going to be there. You know, we got Bateman and, and Winfield and Coughlin and Kamal Martin. Those guys are going to be kind of acting coaches on both sides. So that's kind of fun to have those guys back there. It's interesting because uh, when PJ mentioned it yesterday, it wasn't news that news that was out there that that was happening yet. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, that's happening. Right. And then, uh, you know, George, or excuse me, uh, 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 Howden spoke afterwards and I was like, you know, when Winfield is here this weekend and he was like, what, when Winfield's here, like I was breaking the news to him that Winfield's going to be here and Oh, what's it going to be like with, with him back and you know, that whole thing. So I think it's, it's fun for the players to have alums that come back and guys that have been first round picks or guys that have won Super Bowls before uh, to come back and kind of have that connectivity with the alums. I think that kind of creates an element too. you know, it'll be interesting to see how many times, if Rashad Bateman has Chris Altman Bell, how many times they try to yeah. hit a go route deep, or you know how many times Antoine Winfield sends Tyler Newbin on the on a safety blitz if if that's allowed, you know those kinds of fun little wrinkles that I think will be be part of the spring game because you know it's a it's a celebration, you know I, on the Tuesday practice it's kind of a grind, you know they're kind of at the end of spring ball and it's not as crisp and you're kind of tired of of hitting the same guys all the time that a spring game is really an opportunity to kind of let loose before you have to put the pads away again. And, and hopefully they get the opportunity to 
have some fun on Saturday as well. Yeah, and PJ has made it fun. I remember the last time uh, the game was indoors, that was the first time we saw Daniel Fa'alele as a running back. Remember in that spring game indoors? He scored a touchdown in that game, and then uh, they they dusted off the playbook, or that play off the playbook, and did it again, of course, in the bowl game here this last uh, uh, December. So uh, I'm sure there'll be a surprise or two with that as well. Uh, And as we mentioned, with Ibrahim and Potts neither playing, um, Mm -hmm. it, it does give a chance that these young guys uh, Evans especially, I would think, get an opportunity to showcase some skills. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know more more of a traditional spring game as we know it, as opposed mm-hmm. to last year where some of those backups didn't even play, right? Because of the, the way yeah, that thing yeah. unfolded. So I would think uh, this is more of an evaluation thing, but who knows? We'll see. Um, like if Moriano, sorry, Marin didn't play, that wouldn't be a surprise, right? He's been in the program enough, and yeah, it gives right. – an opportunity for some other linebackers who might be called upon at some point and certainly down the road, um, a chance to play some of them, maybe in front of, uh, you know, although if it moved inside, who knows, but some of them a chance to play in front of some people for the first time too. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, certainly at that position where you have guys that are coming back from injury, Cody Lindenberg, Josh Ani, guys that I'm sure are itching to, uh, to play again. Yeah. I mean, all, all the veteran guys that have are in their fifth, sixth year um i would be very reluctant to play just knowing how how valuable they are so i think yeah kind of a series a little bit of a taste and and then kind of hang it up and, and kind of cheer on the rest of the guys so let's do an, a very early everyone seems to do these like it, the, the season ends and the next day everyone hey, it's very early preseason top 25 yeah, right. or whatever well here we are uh, approaching the end of april looking mm-hmm. uh, ahead to may and then the off-season workouts uh i won't ask you to give me a top 25 nationally but i will ask you to kind of uh, if you can take me through what you're seeing in the big 10 west um mm-hmm. obviously you know there's you know different reports out some most of them all have had their spring games um, I'm sure you're in contact on occasion with some of your colleagues around the league as well about what's happening on, on the teams they're covering. So uh, what, what what are you hearing about the Big Ten West? And, um, you know, it's interesting because everyone always says Wisconsin, and I, I'm certainly not going to not say Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's not been in the title game now. I, I think it's been once in, what, five years. So, yeah. uh, it you know, Northwestern twice, Iowa once, and Wisconsin once in that group. So I guess it's once in the last four years. Um, yeah. but it's always hard to overlook that group. So w- let's start there. What, what, what are you hearing from, uh, the team to the East? Yeah. Um, I haven't followed too much spring ball to be honest. Oh, I put you, you on think, the spot then. Right. Yeah, yeah I know. And I'm ill prepared for it too. I think, you know, I was, I was on with Sirius XM uh, a week or so ago and they asked kind of about the big 10 West and where you think the Gophers are when it comes to that. And, I, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, PJ is, is over against Iowa. And I think that's really the, the hurdle that he has to clear that the program has to clear uh, in order to, to get to Indianapolis. I think that's really the, the final hurdle for this team. I think they've shown that they uh, can play and, and beat Wisconsin, uh, but they haven't been able to do it against Iowa. So I can't tell you exactly where programs are coming out of spring ball, but I just know, uh, just following this program for five years now that Iowa City and and coming here, the Hawkeyes, when they come to Minneapolis has, has really been an issue uh, for, for, for the Gophers. And uh, regardless of who uses their timeouts and when they use their timeouts, that's really been the the problem for, for yeah. the Gophers so, so far. Yeah, I, I think that's going to – and obviously that game is in Minneapolis this year. And the schedule is an interesting one because – 
man, there are some tough road games. You're at Wisconsin, you're at Penn State, you're at Michigan State. Michigan State's a mystery team. They were, uh, you know, on the verge mm-hmm. of potentially being a playoff team last year and then, um, you know, uh, ended up losing to Purdue uh, and lost, you know, yeah. uh, you know, that was built on transfers. Uh, who knows mm-hmm. who's all back? And I haven't followed it close. And then um, at Nebraska, and we, we don't know about Nebraska. Nebraska every year gets ranked wow. high. Um, you know, they lost a whole bunch of close games. So Purdue won nine last year. Um, that's a home game for you this year. But back to the Iowa discussion, because you can talk yourself into all kinds of stuff. Those are four hard road games that I just mentioned, and it's yeah. doubtful that you're going to sweep those. So you're going to have to take care of things at home, and that includes mm-hmm. the Hawkeyes. And I remember yeah. we were at Northwestern this past year, and you know, and this is not a knock on Northwestern anyway, because what they've been able to accomplish here, now they've got facilities to match what they're, what they're hoping. But they were, at that time, they were the defending West champs, and they'd been in two of the previous three, uh, Big Ten championship games, and I remember your friend uh, Justin Gard, not my friend, your friend. Um, we were we were still up in the radio booth, and you know we're looking down. There's you know a hundred people in the stands. Now this was well before the game, but usually at the time you know you're looking out at a, at a you know most Big Ten places. There's a few thousand people starting to file in. It's like, man, how does this place? How do they go to the two of the three last Big Ten championship games? I said, well, it's easy when you look at it. They beat Iowa a lot. And they beat mm-hmm. Wisconsin sometimes. And if right. you can do that right now as the yeah. West is constructed, you're going to find your way to Indianapolis. Now, the Gophers have beaten Wisconsin two of the last four, but yeah. you're going to have to mix an Iowa win in there uh, to, to to end up there. So you're, I think you're right on. Um, and it's a home game this year. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the weird thing with Iowa, too, is that um, you, you can't pour too many eggs in the basket. And and strat- strategically, how do you go against those teams like Purdue? They've had success against Iowa. You know, it's a weird it's a weird circle how some of this works. Like yeah. like PJ's done well against Purdue and not against Iowa. Yeah. And on the flip side, Iowa has done well against PJ, but can't beat Purdue even when they're ranked number two in the country as they were last year. Yeah. Sometimes when you look at it, you know Purdue just you know. Uh, Jeff Brown just throws caution to the wind. He just throws, throws, throws. I do think Guardsy and I have talked about this, and you might have even been involved in a conversation where teams that play Iowa oftentimes, oh, Iowa's, and they're so fundamentally sound. Like they've they've led the lead, the country in interceptions. I think total interception over the past five years, and people are always like, well, can that sustain? And I'm like, you know why they lead the league is because they're so they're so fundamentally sound. They're in the right spot all the time, and if you're mm-hmm. always in the right spot. You're going to have interceptions. You know, you just are how they play. So I think sometimes coaches will go into that game. We can't make a mistake. We can't make a mistake. Yeah. And Jeff Brown's like to hell with that. We're going to throw all over the place. And Bell had like the most yards in the history of the Big Ten on him last year, even though they were in the right spot. So I do think there are times where against a team like that, if you oh, we can't make a mistake, we can't make a mistake. You almost play into their hands and it's a self-fulfilling deal and they're going to play hard, close games. They always do. Iowa does. And when you do that a lot, you get good at winning close games. And they have done that over the years. Yeah. When you when you look at how conservative the Gophers were at Iowa City last year and and how they were willing to to take shots and be aggressive uh, when they hosted Wisconsin at the end of the year and, and you see the results of those two games, I think that kind of leads into your point that if you are aggressive and if you try to make plays, uh, that can be to your advantage. If you if you kind of hit hit on the on the front foot, if you're um, aggressive at the start, I think that bodes well. I, I'm a little bummed that the Iowa game got moved to the end of the year. I really yeah. look forward to the fact of that being in September and kind of really setting the tone. 
obviously it's, it's kind of been at the end of the year with Wisconsin for a number of years now. And it's kind of tradition to kind of have that at the end, but having it early, I think would really have been interesting. I was looking forward to that. And then when they redid the schedule, moving it back, just yeah. kind of, I don't know, took a little bit of the intrigue out of the, out of the schedule, just given what it's been for so long. Yeah. That was going to be a tone setter. Now there's other yeah. games that can serve as the tone setter, but sure. that's for sure. You're right. Was, was going to be, I recall, I think the Gophers, was it Jerry kills second or third year open? Mm-hmm. They started four and oh, and they opened yeah. down in Iowa city. And that's one of the few times, you know, and I grew up in Iowa. So I followed that program, you know, over the years um, for when I was growing up, the last game of the year was always Minnesota and Iowa. And then it switched mm-hmm. to Wisconsin sometime, I th- want to say, yeah. in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, um, and you know, and now Iowa closes with Nebraska on Black Friday once they join the league. So, um, but it, yeah, that that has always been, you know, a, go- a good, obviously the Iowa-Minnesota thing's always been a good rivalry, but it hasn't for years now been the last game, but it's always been a week or two ahead of that Wisconsin game, which always set set up how important that last game would be, except for that one year. Uh, Jerry's team started 4-0 one year and went to Iowa City and just um, early just got the, – the crowd was ready to go and, um, you know, yeah. the struggle continued. I forget. They jumped out to a lead. That had to be maybe the 2014 season. I'd have to look it up. But uh, it was it was early yeah. in in, the, in in Jerry's tenure. So that's one of the few times I, would, I remember it being early. Yeah, that would have been a good year. for 2014, wasn't that the year they went to the Citrus Bowl? That would have been yeah. – was it 14, yeah. 14 or 15? Uh, Grimmer, I got I got a question for you. Yeah, um, I'm ready. How do you feel about the rumors of them going away from the East and West divisions and maybe just having one conference? How do you how do you feel about that rumor that's out there? Because yeah, it's been something that's been you know five, six, seven years now of of East and West, and I've really grown fond of kind of having those teams every year and kind of just knowing what it's going to be like to maybe go away from that. I I don't know. I'm a little hesitant about that. Yeah, I'm, that I'm down. On, it was 2013. I found my media guy okay. here. 2013, um, uh, Gophers were 4-0. They beat UNLV, uh, big New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and San Jose State. And then at Iowa, they were 4-0. And I think Iowa was 4-0 too. And then Iowa blitzed them early, and it ended 23-7. So that was September 28th. And I don't remember. I think the 51-14 game was the next year, the Citrus Bowl year when Max Williams had that big game. And that game was in November. Mm -hmm. So that's the only time off the top of my head I can remember that game being early. That opened the Big Ten season that year. Uh, And and actually the year before as well, in 2012. um, It might be 2012, I'm thinking of. It was 2012. That was 31-13. And then Iowa came here in September to open the Big Ten season in 13. So 2012 was the year I was thinking of. Both those years, Jerry started 4-0. But anyway, back to your question. I am a proponent of um, what I think might be best for Minnesota, right? And I think what might be best for Minnesota is to stay in the divisions. Uh, and yeah. and and not um, and not uh, open it up the way they want. And honestly, I, I have to look into this more. And I know, um, you know, there's been some articles. I know Scott, uh, our guy Scott Do- Scott Dockerman down in Iowa has has yeah. written about that because the AD at Iowa is kind of, you know, the he's he's overseeing a lot of the football stuff now. Gary Barta, who's who's a Twin Cities native, um, but I, I I I'm still struggling with what the benefit is outside of pleasing Penn State, which maybe that's the goal. Penn State's been complaining about being, you know, they they look and see Wisconsin and Iowa and who do they have to play? Well, look, the West, I mean, honestly, the West from teams one through six is probably as good as the East. 
I mean, the East also gets to play, you know, some teams that haven't traditionally been that great, but you throw Ohio state in the mix and what they've been yeah. for the last 10 years. And uh, it, right. it, so I see why Penn state says, Hey, outside of that, I don't get the, like, I don't think it helps the big 10 uh, in, in, in the sense that they would think it would. I think, especially if they don't expand the playoffs. Now, I think the discussion is if they expand the playoffs, then they would do away with the divisions, right? And I, I have to think more, I have to really almost write it down on paper to see why, because to me, wouldn't there be times where if you take the top two teams, you're running the risk of team number two getting knocked out of the playoff altogether, where there's been a couple of years yeah. where, well, Ohio State made the playoffs one year, right? By not playing in the Big Ten championship game. I think Penn State won the, league tiebreaker, but Ohio State had the better, you know, uh, total work, overall work of whatever you want to call it. Uh, And did Penn State, I can't remember, Penn State won or lost that championship game, but I don't, like, like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you run the risk more? Like if you have, like last year, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So Ohio State's kind of waiting in the wings. If Iowa pulls the upset and beats Michigan, Ohio State might be in the playoff, right? Yeah, it might have been, yeah. Um, Where if Ohio State and Michigan both play, I, I, I mean, the winner is going to go, but but if the playoff gets expanded now, wouldn't you run, like like last year, if it was an expanded playoff, Ohio State's going no matter what. But now what happens if those two teams play? The loser could miss out on a spot, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'd have to, I have to write down now, someone may tweet at me and say, you're an idiot. Here's why it is more important to do this way. But I I, um, I I I struggle with what the benefit of the big to the Big Ten is as well. To me, it would seem right. they're putting another team at risk of another an important loss late in the season. When if yeah, they're I just tucked away as the second best team in the Big Ten, that's not a bad spot to be in an expanded playoff situation. Don't put anything at risk of them losing again, right? Right. Yeah. I, I just I don't look at it so much from a playoff perspective. It's just like a continuity tradition yeah. kind of standpoint, right? I just think it makes sense to have the the 17 i mean obviously you know we're talking relatively speaking right because nebraska is new and the yeah. divisions are new and all of that but it just feels like I, I know that it's you know kind of recency bias but it just feels like it works it just makes sense to kind of have divisions to kind of have two separate um competitions going on uh to kind of you know kind of add some more layers of intrigue to the regular season that's how i look at it i don't think about the i didn't think about the big picture about the playoff but i just feel like what what would be the appeal of being you know the sixth seventh eighth team fourth team in right. the Big Ten when you're like it it just feels like it'd be just be muddled down by the group if if that's the case of the fourteen teams where if you have a two different pots then you're like you know hey there's a this is the road to the to the Big Ten championship game and and you have a little bit more of a shot and it's a little bit more of a, a clear channel as opposed to kind of a, right. a muddle, big yeah. one, big pot. Well, and and you'd protect a couple rivalries, but in a 14-team league, um, you know, I, I get on one side, you're like, you know, you haven't played Ohio State very often. Now, they opened last year, and that was a great atmosphere, and it was fun. Yeah. Um, would a format where they eliminate divisions allow you to, to play a big-time program like that a little more often? Probably. Um, like, I don't, I don't just yearn for we have to play Purdue every year. God love Purdue. Yeah. That said, you you would probably in our in Minnesota's case protect Wisconsin and Iowa. I think they should play Nebraska every year as well. And I'm sure people in Iowa, if they only can protect two, right? 
yeah. you almost have to make it in pods that you're going to protect. Because if you're not, you can't not play Wisconsin and Minnesota every year. It's the longest running continuous rivalry in the right now in the history of college football, right? So yeah. that's going to play every year. That thing's for sure, as it should be. And so can you protect three? Can you protect four? And if you're doing that, then you might as well just keep the divisions, right? Yeah, I would, I would think so. And then you also have, you know, if you have those as the protected rivalries and those are the better teams in the in the Big Ten West, then are the other teams more benefited right. more? Do you get more Northwestern Nebraska games? And, yeah. you know, like. Right. What, what you know. Well, and, and you're right. So if you protect that group uh, and now all of a sudden Purdue protects Northwestern and Illinois and Indiana, uh you know, yeah. now you might have Wisconsin saying, hold on a second. You know, we're playing Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska every year, and these guys are playing. And again, it can flip. So I'm, I'm just going on, yeah. you know, recent right. history. And right. Minnesota's not exactly, you know, been a juggernaut over the years. And I'm sure someone mm-hmm. listening, you know, from some other team might say, what's he talking about? But, you know, in general terms, they've twice in the last three years had a chance to go to Indy, Minnesota. So it's different than yeah. Illinois. And, and Illinois most recently has been, you know, to major bowl games in Minnesota. But if all of a sudden you're protecting in Indiana, Purdue, and and Northwestern and Illinois as a four pod, um, you know, and it and you know that that probably is the way they'd want to you know protect that rivalry because Indiana and Illinois have got a great rivalry. Illinois and Northwestern have a great rivalry. Uh, Indiana and Purdue clearly have the old oak and bucket. Well, that that pod now all of a sudden, based on the last ten years, is not a real great pod, right? I mean, it, Northwestern's had you know a couple of nice years. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So if you're going to protect and, that and many, you might we, as well keep it, keep the, keep the divisions. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I, I know it's kind of a tangent, but I just, I don't know. I just feel like I'm a fan of, of East and West and just kind of how it's played out. I think it's just, just feels, it just feels natural. It just feels good, even though it's a recent thing in the last eight years. Or yeah, so. I agree. I, I agree. And mm-hmm. you keep, you, you know, there's some regional, um, you know, you keep some regional rivalries involved and, it, you know, it's important and, um, yeah. fans get comfortable with certain things. And, um, and, and so, and, and, and as, as I said, in the main picture, somebody maybe can tell me what I'm missing about why it's better in an expanded playoff for the big 10. I don't fully get that, but yeah. apparently there are people that think that it, it would be. So, uh, maybe sometime we can have Scott on. Cause I know he has, uh, yeah. he, he is, he's, uh, dived into that more than than i have anyway and uh, he can explain it to me what the what the benefit is because to me adding a loss to one of your top two teams in an expanded playoff the last week of the season isn't a good thing for the big 10 because you're putting that team at risk to lose where if they're just tucked away with 11 and one um Mm -hmm. and you're up against other teams um that, that that's okay particularly if other yeah. conferences stay with divisions. But uh, real quickly, I want to ask you about men's basketball. A couple of transfers uh, here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dawson Garcia is the headliner. That's the one yeah. name that people uh, recognize here from Prior Lake. Uh, what's your what's your thought on what is happening here this offseason with the uh, Gopher men's basketball team? Yeah, you know, they they needed some, some additions. They needed a point guard. They needed a big. And, uh, you know, they were probably able to do as best as they possibly could with the big and Dawson Garcia. You know, obviously people know that, McDonald's All-American, a guy who was at Marquette, uh, and then North Carolina, a four-star recruit, a guy who's who's really been uh, a high prospect uh, at the first two places that he went to, is able to come home and have a year here with the Gophers at, at 6'11", very versatile type player. I think it's probably the best that they could have done. It kind of really uh, was a perfect storm to be able to bring him back 
as he's had some family health issues and, and if he's able to get that waiver, it sounds like he, as he said, kind of unfortunately has a very compelling case to be able to do that. And you hope that, uh, you know, while it didn't work out for Marcus Carr, you hope that it works out for a guy like Dawson Garcia and the NCAA kind of gets it and, and he's able to play right away. If, if that's the case, uh, then that's great for, for the Gopher basketball team. Taylon Cooper, the, the transfer from Moorhead State, um, a guy who uh, is a true point guard. You know, he, I think he was top 15 in assists, top uh, 15 in, in assist to turnover ratio. Um, a guy who shoots it at a pretty good clip, uh, seems like a really good leader. Uh, it's, it's interesting to, to see a guy who is able to step up to the Big Ten level and say, well, I think I might just do one year because I'm going to graduate. I think that shows that, you know, he's a good kid and, and has his head on uh, straight. So I think yeah. that's that's impressive as well. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you needed a point guard, you know, Peyton Willis leaving, bringing in a guy that's I think he's played nearly 100 college basketball games. Uh, is a really big uh, get for them and and kind of winning in the transfer portal they were able to do last year uh, with a lot of guys and, and it seems like they're having great success uh, so far this this offseason they've got the four uh, incoming freshmen as well that will uh, yeah, likely right. you know start in the summer uh, do you think they're done or do you think they'll add one more transfer uh, it sounds like you know they've got one more spot and and it sounds like Theum uh, their freshman. A point guard has entered the portal as well, so they might have a, another spot as well. So yeah, I think they'll probably keep looking. I think they need another another guard, another off guard. I know there's a, a short list of guys that they've had in on visits as well. So I'd, I'd imagine that they're going to keep trying to prod and and poke around and, and add maybe one or two more now. St. Paul Pioneer Press, how can people read your stuff? Yeah, TwinCities.com and and in the in the printed paper, it's still out there, man. It's awesome. And how about Twitter? Can they follow you there and other avenues? Yeah, yeah at Andy Greeter on Twitter. Great, man. It's been fun. Um, we should share the story about uh, you and I and the group breaking bread together in Indiana mm-hmm. at uh, yeah. my favorite place, Zagrabs. Uh, you were lucky enough to get to sit right next to me and across the uh, way from our buddies Ron Johnson and Daryl Thompson and some others in the traveling party. That was yeah. that was a fun night out in Bloomington for football. Yeah, that's a great that's a great downtown. I didn't know the the history of Zagrebs and the Bobby Knight bringing recruits there. It's just like a very supper clubby type vibe uh, in that place. That was great. And then there's you know other watering holes within a couple of blocks as well. <laughs> that was my first talk about you know Big Ten scheduling. That was my first trip to to Indiana. That was the first Gophers trip there in a right. long time. I've been on the beat seven years. That was the first time that I've been to to Bloomington. This this year will be the first time I'm going to East Lansing. Uh, so yeah, it's fun to, to go to big, big 10 cities that I haven't been to or big 10 cities I haven't been to in a while. It's, it's fun to, to, uh, have a few drinks and, and have dinner before, before games when we can a few times. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Hey, we'll look forward to East Lansing, your first, uh, your first, uh, maiden or your maiden voyage to East Lansing this fall. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Andy. We appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Karen. There he is, the great Andy Greeter from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. I hope you enjoyed hearing his insights on Golden Gopher Athletics, the Big Ten, and more. The Go Gopher Podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. We're also sponsored by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland. Brandon Morton is our producer and technical expert. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts, and please be sure to hit the subscribe button to the Go Gopher Podcast right now. It's absolutely free to listen. We'll talk again next week.